0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of the Outlook, brought to you by World Outlook, Dartmouth's undergraduate journal of international affairs. We're your hosts. I'm Hayden. And I'm Massa. This week, we'll first be talking with 23 Jesse Ferrioli on the implications of recent elections in Italy's Emilia Romana region. And after, we'll hear from 21's Maddie Sack and Sarah Solomon on their take on Trump's new plan for peace in Israel. We hope you enjoy.
1: Kowalski, analysis. Last weekend, Matteo Salvini's populist right-wing Lega Nord, the Northern League Party, lost an election for the governorship of Northern Italy's Emilia-Romagna Province. Here is Jesse Ferrioli to talk about the flurry of news coverage and speculation that it prompted about the decline of populism in Italy. So Jesse, who is Matteo Salvini and why was this regional election such a big deal?
2: So Matteo Salvini is the leader of the right-wing Lega Nord Party. A hardline Euroskeptic, Salvini holds very critical views of the European Union, especially for its, in his view, lenient treatment of asylum seekers. Until August of last year, Salvini was one of two Deputy Prime Ministers in the Cabinet of Giuseppe Conte. In late August, however, he was ousted from this position after trying to get Italy's coalition government to force an election, which would have given the Northern League an outright majority in Parliament. After this attempt, his rivals responded by creating a new coalition between the anti-establishment Five Star Movement, also called M5S, and the center-left Democratic Party, without the league.
1: So what exactly is the Five Star Movement?
2: So the Five Star Movement is a political party that was formed from a grassroots rebellion against traditional politics just over a decade ago in 2009 by a comedian named Beppe Grillo. I think that's what is so entertaining about the Italian government, really, is that it kind of mimics its culture. I mean, imagine a widely successful and long-standing political party founded by a comedian. Can you imagine Jimmy Fallon doing something similar here in the States? Anyways, by the March 2018 elections, M5S was the biggest party in Italian politics with 32% of the vote, and they even eventually formed a coalition with Matteo Salvini's Populist Anti-Migrant League.
1: Okay, so back to the election of the 26th. Why was it such a big deal if it was only a regional election for a governor?
2: So back to the whole Italian government mimicking the culture thing, Salvini is very, you could maybe say melodramatic. He touted the January 26th election in Emilia Romagna as a referendum on whether he should lead Italy and saw the election as an opportunity to bring down the fragile coalition between the PD and M5S. He definitely didn't need to play the election up as he did, considering the significant prosperity of the Lega Nord, but nonetheless he did. With the popularity of the Northern League having risen in Emilia Romagna in the months before the election, Salvini basically just wanted to see how much the national government had the confidence of the electorate. So I want to talk a little bit about why exactly the election was unsuccessful, and to do that we have to talk a little bit about this group called the Sardines, a grassroots campaign movement fighting against populism in Italy. In 2014, the turnout in Emilia Romana's regional election was 37.7%, but this year, that number jumped to 67.7%. This spike is almost certainly due to the Sardines, without whom the PD may well have lost control.
1: So, is the name derived from Sardinia, as in the region of Italy?
2: Yeah, pretty much like Sardinia. The sardines are a progressive social movement that formed there just months ago in November 2019. They're named after the sardine because the fish symbolizes solidarity and pacifism, and the group encourages citizens to assemble at local piazzas in support of progressive causes. Just last week in Bologna, 30,000 people showed up for a free concert hosted by the sardines to challenge Matteo Salvini's anti-immigrant rhetoric.
1: Are the sardines a political party, like something to officially challenge Laika and Northern Nepal's?
2: While the group is not an official party, its leaders are touring with the idea of evolving the movement into one in the future. However, rather than representing a revival of the old left, the sardines more appropriately represent the rebirth of a culture of political participation.
1: So what does the result of this regional election mean on a national level? Do you think this trend is going to continue and Salvini's party is going to keep losing elections?
2: So, first off, Salvini kind of bit his tongue with declaring this a referendum on whether he should lead Italy, considering that Emilia Romana has historically had a string of leftist governments since the end of the Second World War. And the incumbent governor likely won the election for his ability to attract the province's existing base of leftist voters. But you are right. The mobilization of voters through groups like the sardines is promising because it shows a push against populism however in spite of this provincial victory italy's national government is still fragile and probably won't hold together for long
1: why don't you think so
2: well since the 2008 financial crisis austerity stricken rural and provincial towns have been drifting rightwards and at a national level this doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon in addition salvini's right-wing message. Qing still dominates the news and social media, and at a national level, polls suggest Salvini's party is well-positioned to form a majority government in coalition with other right-wing parties. So while the Emilio Romana election has slowed the tide of populism, the result is probably not as promising for Italy as it may seem.
0: Thanks, Jesse. Up next, we have Sarah and Maddie discussing Trump's new plan for peace in the Middle East. Take it away.
3: Okay. yeah. So last week, the Trump administration unveiled their new Middle East peace plan, which has been three years in the making. Uh, So first, we're going to talk a little bit about the historical side of the conflict, move into what this plan is and how it differs from previous plans and what implications it may have for the future of the conflict. So Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about the history between Israel and Palestine?
4: Yeah, sure. So uh, it's a pretty long, complicated history. Uh, definitely going to gloss over a few details here. But uh, essentially, the conflict started with the Zionist movement in the late 19th century, um, which eventually gained momentum after the British decided to uh, allow the Zionists to use the Palestinian mandate as a location for their homeland and... Uh, the Israeli state was created in 1948 with the independence war, um, however these borders are uh, much like they encompass far less land than Israel has today because in the 1967 June war Israel expanded its borders occupying uh, what is now referred to as the West Bank in Gaza also the Golan Heights however for the Palestinian issue Gaza and the West Bank are really crucial here um, So probably the most important previous attempt at peace would be the Oslo Accords uh, in that uh, Palestinian uh, President Arafat and Israeli Prime Minister Robin got pretty far along the path towards peace. Um, However, they failed to address certain crucial issues uh, that have now come up again in this current peace plan. So those issues are how to divide Jerusalem between the two states, what to do about Israeli settlements, which continue to expand um, despite agreements between the states, Um, final security arrangements surrounding the borders, security is a very crucial issue to Israel it's a tiny state um, which has traditionally been surrounded by uh, hostile nations so in all their policies they take security very seriously um finally there's the refugee crisis so all the Palestinians who left Israel um, after it declared independence um, have been stuck in refugee camps for decades at this point and it still has not been resolved where these people will go Um, Other minor issues include water and other resources, which would have to be divided if
3: a Palestinian and Israeli state were to be formed. Cool. Um, So what we see that's kind of different on this deal from deals in the past that Sarah was talking about is that under this proposed map, the Palestinian territory would be fully enclosed by israel uh, Israel would annex the land that is on the Jordan um, river on the Jordan border, and the reason that this is so important to Bibi Netanyahu is because he has seen borders previously been used by terrorist organizations to smuggle weapons into parts of um, Gaza, which is what he doesn 't want to see happen again on the Jordan border. Um, And what happened in southern Lebanon. So this was really important to Netanyahu in this plan, but this would be a huge um, detriment to Palestine. Uh, In previous deals, there was kind of a one-to-one swap on territory where uh, Israel would take some land, but then Palestine would kind of add on other borders. But here, this would be a lower give to Palestinians than previous deals. Uh, where they would kind of give Palestine some land in the southern part of the territory, but really just be desert that's not really beneficial to Palestine at all. And then the other thing that's different with this deal is that within the territory, like Sarah was talking about, we do have these Israeli settlements. um, And under this plan, the Israeli settlements would remain as Israeli territory that would be policed by Israel. So instead of having a Palestinian state with full sovereignty, we would see Israeli sovereignty over settlements within the Palestinian state. Um, and the reason of this is because this is kind of a historic recognition of Israel's claim to this land, and that's why uh, they want to make sure that they can remain have sovereignty over these settlements. They also don't want their citizens to have to move from these settlements that have now been there for a very long time. And they always knew that this was going to be a tricky deal, but this is kind of a sloppy solution, just saying like, oh yeah, it's fine if Israel can keep it. Um, it's definitely not something that Palestine would be happy about. And then in terms of the right of return, which Sarah talked about, this is a question about whether Palestinian refugees can reclaim their homes um, that they left in previous wars. And the previous solution was kind of that we would have some refugees and some compensation, but in this one, the idea is kind of too bad, so sad, you can't come back. Um, And then on the question of the Jerusalem capital, there would be two Jerusalems. The idea is that Bibi would give Palestine an Eastern Jerusalem, um, basically, this is like if Jerusalem was Boston, Eastern Jerusalem is like a suburb outside of Boston that the Palestinians would get. Um, so it's not actually a claim to the ancient city, but they do get to claim the name. So that's kind of the New Deal. In terms of the Palestinian reaction, uh, they were not invited to negotiate during the deal, and the Palestinian leader has said a thousand times no. So we are kind of in a little bit of a limbo in terms of what's gonna happen. Do you have any predictions, Sarah, on the future? Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Yeah, I mean, Really at the core of the conflict between Israel and Palestine, there's just been a fundamental lack of trust that has thwarted previous peace efforts. So I think by excluding Palestinians or any Arab nation from this deal, it
3: was doomed at the start. Um, But it might be successful for both Bibi Netanyahu and President Trump who are facing domestic issues to kind of drum up support and say, like, look at this huge thing we're getting done, which is why Trump has coined it the deal of the century. So I guess we'll have to wait and see.
0: Thanks for the analysis, Jesse, Maddie, and Sarah. We always appreciate people coming on the show and giving us their take on what's going on in the world right now. Email us at dartmouth.com if you have any topics you'd be interested in hearing about or if you'd want to come in and speak on foreign affairs. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.